This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here, and we want to thank you, we being me, Jordan, our recording engineer, Matt, who occasionally is nipping around in the booth helping, and Sierra, who does all the booking and produces this show. We want to thank you for another great year. Hey, you want to give us a a gift? Well, well, fuck, it's so easy. Just go and leave us a review, a five-star review that says, Hey, I love this. You got to in you could you don't have to say it in caps, but you have to say it loudly while you type it. And we want to recap 2019, a particularly stressful year in my life, but a very good year for the Query podcast. Um we've got two great episodes this week and next with some of our best hits, top hits, some of the hits from this year, including this week Abby Wambach, Callan Allen, and Ryan O'Connell. So please enjoy and have a great holiday season. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. You know, you spend 10 minutes explaining what a woman's place is in comedy or in sport. And, you know, I, I, my future wish for, you know, the next generation of women athletes and women comedians um, is that they don't have to waste any freaking time explaining what it's like to be a woman in comedy or a woman in sport. They're just an athlete or they're just a comedian. Like, let's drop stupid pronouns that um, people can't understand. We're freaking human beings. We go through the same stuff. We travel, we sacrifice, we train, we blood, sweat, and tears, the exact same. So, um, you know, that's kind of my mission over the rest of my life. I've kind of made a new career for myself trying to make sure that the people who come behind me don't struggle in the same ways that I did and, and maybe the same ways that you did. Was it always soccer for you? Like you're a little kid. What were you playing as a little kid? I was playing anything, anything that could yeah. get me attention, right? Like, so I was, I, and I still am a, a total attention whore. My, <laughs> wife, my wife says that I'm competing with the 10 year old or 10 year old daughter. <laughs> Or who gets, she's like, you're actively trying to get more attention than the child, the youngest child in our family. Like, I don't know what that means. But um, yeah, I was always a a really great athlete. And um, I think that gave me a sense of confidence, a sense of self and um, an ability that not everybody else had. So it gave me that, I think that other element that some people have inside of them to kind of continue to pursue that that elusive dream of whether it be playing in the Olympics or whatever whatever it is your 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 end dream goal like the best thing that could ever happen in in, in the thing that you love to do and I grew up in a young and a huge family I was the youngest of seven um, so watching my brothers and sisters play sports you know I just kind of always had this knowing that like oh, I'm gonna be able to do that a little bit better than them are they athletic? Like, do they, did they, yeah. did they have sport, sport career? Even, even in like, 
you know, high school, college sort of a thing? Did they play sports? Yeah. My sister Beth actually went to Harvard and played basketball at Harvard. Um, she was one of the number one three-point shooters mm. in the country at, at one point in college. Um, that was a very big claim to fame in my family uh, until, of course, I went to college and started winning national championships and stuff. <laughs> um, Eat it, Beth. <laughs> my other sister, yeah, my other sister, she played soccer at Xavier University. Oh, that's where my so, parents went and met. No way. Yeah, no, for real. Yeah, my parents went to Xavier and met there. That's amazing. Yeah. I think I, 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 have they ever been to, what is it called? Um, it's not Six Flags. Is it Six Flags? Oh, um, Cedar Point. I don't know. I'm naming places that are in Ohio. I have no idea. Well, it was like a, it was a, a an amusement park that had this really crazy big Kings Island. That's oh, sure. Was. Yes, they've been to Kings Island. Yeah, that <laughs> huge. I went there when I visited my sister. It's all I remember about Xavier. Um, wow. but yeah, I came from a really athletic family. My brothers played sports all through uh, high school, and then kind of went to work for my dad and went to college and never really pursued it beyond that. So I was lucky. I was lucky to be involved in a family that was very sports centric and valued sport. Um, given that I ended up doing it as a profession. Yeah. What about your um, parents? Did they, did they have some natural athleticism or any, I mean, I'm imagining like what, what you, what you telling me those facts, um, the context that that's giving me is that you weren't even like the first woman in your family to have, to play at a college level, that's, I mean, that's extremely unusual. And then especially like in the time when you and I were growing up, cause like yeah. now, like, I mean, this is still true now and it right. was more true then. And this is not, right. there's not a huge gap between now and then right. in terms of time. Right. But yeah, well, um, my dad was, my, my dad was a super athlete. Um, he was really quick, fast. I think he ran track and he played football and wrestled. But after high school, went to go work for his father. Um, my my great grandfather and grandfather had like a, a a farm stand, like a little farm stand, and then it turned into a farm. So um, my dad took over that business and never got to kind of see the fruits of his sporting labor. So I think that he lived quite vicariously through his daughters, which um, which is so evident in the way that all of my my sister Beth and Laura and myself. We're very independent and we're very strong. And my dad will take complete credit for that. <laughs> um, but I have to be honest and kind of give most of the credit to my mom. You know, being a, a wife back in the, gosh, I don't even, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, um, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom, raised and, and raised us Catholic. Um, so she had, a, she had a, a unique set of value systems in place and I think one thing that she really broke free from, wanted us to break free from, is this whole idea that we needed to be reliant on a man um, to be happy. Um, you know, and I think that was something all of us really took seriously. My mom always told me, you know, don't, you know, you need to make your own money and you need to put yourself in a position where you're not, you know, serving only somebody else. Like you have to take care of yourself. So, I learned those real values, and I think my sister's my eldest sister is a doctor, and now actually doesn't practice anymore, and is the mother of six children. And then my next sister, Laura, she's she's a, a teacher. So, you know, I think my my parents did a really good job of raising us, and they are not without fault. You know, I mean, God love them; they did the very very best that they could. 
Um, but I think, you know, they, they really did put inside of, of us girls a strong, a, an idea, a value system of independence. And that really has kind of been with me throughout my life. Do you know where your mom got that idea? Like I, I think about, you know, her uh, telling you <laughs> to make your own money or something like that. That's like a radical concept. Yeah. She got Still it because now. I think, she, I, yeah, I think she was pissed hmm. at having to ask my dad for money. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Right. That's a, that's a very good uh, you know, cause and effect. <laughs> she worked as hard as he did, right? He would go to work in the morning and come home and she had seven children to, to deal with. And, and a lot of, a lot of people out there would say she worked 10 times harder than he did because he wasn't dealing with little humans running around and making a mess of everything. So, you know, I think that, I think that anger probably is a huge marker for her that allows her to, to make decisions and, and allowed her to treat us and to parent us and guide us in a, in a kind of a, like put it in your words, radical way. Hmm. Well, this is all like, I, I mean, I can, I can relate to a ton of the stuff that you're saying. You know, I was raised really Catholic. Um, my dad, my dad always wanted to be a singer and then, you know, he's a lawyer. So it's d definitely, there was a time in, when I lived in Chicago and that's where he lives when um, I used to set up shows where my little sister's also a singer and my family would, um, <laughs> I would throw these um like, Italian themed shows <laughs> where my family would come and be backup singers for me. Uh, as a, and by the way, just so you know, they love this job. <laughs> and, you know, it is, it is like very, it's a very specific thing. Um, having, you know, in my case, I'll say having like my dad made all these choices to work hard to like further our um, social standing in like send me to private school, things like that. Like send me to Catholic school. Like to, you know, he worked his ass off to like shoveling asphalt to put himself through law school so that he could send me to Catholic school, which like, honestly, pretty sure that wasn't worth it. But, um, and then, you know, so that then I could like turn around and like live the dream that he never got to live. I mean, there's a lot of, I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, yeah. It feels I, so like lot like there's so much there was so much lost along the way. Hmm. Them trying to do right by us, but we have to remember, and this is something I have continually come back to, and and especially with my relationship with my parents and my mom, you know, it wasn't easy coming out to them. It wasn't easy um, getting them to understand that I was going to do what I wanted to do, whether or not they believed it to be sin or um whatever it was like i always have to keep reminding myself that our parents are good people and they were they were doing what they felt was best at the time because we have to remind ourselves that like it's easy like hindsight is 2020 right and it's easy to look back on the, the history and the story our, of our lives and, and point out all the things that went wrong and point blame to our parents for putting us in these crazy positions. But at the time, they were really, truly feeling and thinking that, um, that it was the best decision for us. Now, could they, if they could go back and change things now, knowing who we've turned into, of course, I think that they probably would make different choices. But they were assuming at the time that we were going to turn into what would be quote unquote, your average normal human being. Right. And, um, and I think that that is really important for parents out there 
when they're making certain decisions about how to guide their children through their lives is you always have to remember that your kid could be of that that's however small percent it could your kid could be trans your kid could be bi your kid could be uh, homosexual whatever it is whatever marks on this group you have to remember that it's possible so you never want to have to have your children unlearn stuff that you force them to learn as a child yeah that's real I mean, um, well, when did that, when, when did you, when did that happen for you? When did you come out to your folks? Like just general age range. I was 22. Um, I told my mom, I went, I took her to a Mexican restaurant because I felt like I got to do this in public for some reason. Oh, I did it at the Nordstrom cafe, but it yeah. wasn't my, my mom asked me, but anyway, yes, public, <laughs> the Nordstrom cafe, tuna sandwiches, keep going. Um, I, you know, and and I, I, I came out with it in the most strong way. Like, you know me, you, you know me a little bit. Like, I'm just like, my personality is like, I am basically all or nothing. So I wasn't going to like whimper into the conversation. I didn't want her to have any reason to doubt what I was saying. So I basically said to her, mom, I need to tell you something. I am a lesbian. So I used the strongest word that you can use that makes it, you know, undeniable to hear. And she, of course, you know, she, she did her very best under the circumstances. I think my mom has had known for a long time. Um, but her belief system made it harder for her to hear those words. Right. So she told me a few times, like, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. Um, and you know, 10 years later, I had to come out again and remind her I, I still am a lesbian, you know, Ma. Um, and it was kind of our 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 little secret that we we didn't share with the rest of the family. Although I told my brothers and sisters, and they were like, "Yeah, cool, we've known forever," right? <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, that was that was when I was 22, and then I think maybe when I was 29, like seven or eight years later, I had to you know, remind her that this was still the case and things had not changed. And this was my life. When 22, what was going on in your, in the rest of your life at that time? Like, um, I'm trying to timestamp, like, were you out of, what was going, yeah, what was going on yeah, for you? I had just left <clears throat> college to enter into the uh, women's professional soccer league. It was the, it was then called the WSA. And there's been a few iterations since um, in 2003 is when I started to get more um, in, invitations to play on the national team. In 2004, 2003, 2004, I was mostly a mainstay on the, on the national team. So once the national team stuff started to happen, then it was real easy to sweep um, my sexuality under the rug and not talk about it um, because I had this other massive focal point that I, that I could continue to relate with my parents around. Um, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and if I were to be able to go back in time, I would do things differently because, you know, that was, that was also me not wanting to actually deal with the relationship that I was trying to cultivate with my parents. And so it's taken, you know, 15 or 20 years to actually have these hard conversations. Um, and, you know, being brought up Catholic, I was, and, and I've, I've just figured this out. Um, my struggle was, I felt like at the time I was 
having to decide between my mom and God or myself. Um, and, you know, up until six months ago, I'm almost 39. So up until six months ago, I had this revelation like, oh, actually, God is not separate than me. And um, God is not separate than my mom. And God is not the church, right? So I had been feeling like um, this, this, this guilt, you know, this Catholic guilt that we're all made to fear and, and, and feel less than and shame about about myself and I was just getting it really mixed up. So I'm glad that I cleared that up and it's actually allowed me to have um, a little bit of healing with my relationship with my mom because, you know, she's getting older and I don't want to have things that are left unsaid. So, you know, for all of your listeners, having the hard conversations now um, will, first of all, save the conversation for, you know, you're just saving the conversation for later or you, or worst case scenario, you won't ever have it. And then, um, you know, God knows what happens after that. So have the hard conversations with your parents or your family now um, and get them to, to see you and get them to, to hear what you want to say um, because you're going to have to say it eventually. Might as well just get it over with, eat the frog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a particular set of circumstances, though, that to what you're talking about. I was a little younger. I was, um, but not much. I was 19. But a lot of things were different between what you're describing and my situation. I was, you know, still in college that my folks were helping me pay for. And um, it was a Catholic college. And so I was still getting messaging there. Um, like you couldn't you couldn't come out. You could be kicked out of school. And um, <clears throat> so like for me, that actually, to your point, um, it did sort of force me to have – well, first I'll say, I'll say this. Sometimes it's just like straight up not safe to have some of these conversations. But you're talking about when it's safe, yeah. but you're yeah, just making a choice or whatever. And of I course. get that. I think because of the specifics of what I'm talking about, I did have to have those conversations like very – in a very um, focused way just because um, like I wasn't – I didn't have any, I didn't have this other thing going on or like a job or um, something else that was pulling me in a different direction. I had to just like kind of work it out with them over, over, you know, from like 19 to 25. Um, really and you were in a controlled environment too, because mm -hmm. you were being, you were asking them for their resources to go to, to this crazy college that's not allowing you to actually be yourself because of their belief system. So it's it, it, and I understand every situation is very different. Obviously, um, safety is the number one priority, but yeah, um, that's hard. And and um, I'm glad that you had those conversations. You know, yeah. I mean, I have com I have a lot of compassion for you because like the pressure cooker of all of that kind of just you know you're right. Like it did. Like by the time I was 25, I was living back in Chicago and dating uh, a woman that they liked, and it was just like okay, now we you have to get over this now. Like it was just, it was so, it was such a finite amount of time because it was so big. And I'm imagining like in your case, um, yeah, that's a, that's a long time to sort of carry that, um, that like dance that you're doing where, cause I certainly did that during that time, you know, like there was a, you know, I went home for Thanksgiving and didn't bring my partner because, or like brought somebody in. She was my friend, you know, like I did that all, but it was all just very condensed. And um, I certainly know how stressful that is to try to figure out like sort of 
who can hear what about your life, like who in your life can hear what things about your life. That compartmentalization is, um, it's, it's so isolating. And, um, and I, I just have a lot of compassion for what I'm assuming you must've been going through at that time, which is a lot yeah. of, a lot of like redirecting towards <laughs> soccer or whatever, or, well, uh, yeah. and, you know, no, I think that that also added a layer of pressure to the whole thing because I started to get a little bit more famous my name was a little bit more out there. And so, you know, my mom at one point just begged me not to come out publicly. Um, you know, and it's this whole idea of perception and the way that the outside world perceives your family and the way that I was raised and how that's going to now reflect on my parents. So I, and I have compassion for my mom also. But here's the thing, you know, it became this pressure cooker and that kind of led me down a really difficult path towards the end of my career. And a lot of things were kind of coming to um, a, a head for me. And I was really struggling with alcohol and prescription pills. Um, and, and so that was the other side of it where I was placating and wanting my mom's security and acceptance. Um, while all the while not listening to my own needs. Uh, and so I went the opposite direction and started making bad choices for my personal life, for my personal body. Um, and so I think that there is, there has to be the balance of, and protection, the, there has to be protection in, in place for you and yourself that um, is, is long-term, right? Yeah. Uh, as soon as I started to struggle you know, as soon as I actually started struggling and then, you know, when, when the shit actually hit the fan, I got a DUI, like my life completely changed because I got sober and, um, I was able to actually have these hard conversations. Um, I was actually able to create boundaries and create a life for myself that felt really good because of my gayness, not in spite mm -hmm. of my, and I think that I needed to get to that point, unfortunately, um, I needed to get so low that I, I just had nothing else but needy, but the, the, the requirement of accepting who I was and accepting of what the life I wanted and then go out and, and, and create it. So, you know, as much as I would love to sit here and blame my parents for every little thing that ever went wrong in my life, like I am here now, um, because of them, right? Like some of that struggle though it was hard and though it was very real has allowed me to get stronger in ways that I wouldn't have. Right. And so it's not for, it's not all for not. Right. Like, and I, I understand too, that everybody's story is different and everybody's pain is different and everybody's reaction to it is different. But for me, I want to be the narrator of my story. And in order to do that, I have to take control of all the aspects of it. And I don't want to. I don't want to blame. I don't want to give out any of the power that I've been able to curate for myself and create for myself. So I want to take that on myself and, um, I guess, be the strongest dyke I can be. <laughs> yes, be the strongest dyke you can be. So when you were a kid and you were getting out in front of folks making mm -hmm. fun of you, bullying mm -hmm. you, what would they have been saying? I mean, it's 
the best way I can subs- uh, I mean um the best way I can describe it is okay so you talked about moonlight right I always push this argument about moonlight is that the boy wasn't being bullied because he was gay he was being bullied because he was weak and I think within society a lot of times weakness is a sign of gayness you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to actually do with one's sexuality if they know or not, you know. And I think I, as you can say, I'm very skinny. I wasn't the athletic type. It's just who was who I wasn't, you know. And so I think because of that, people made fun of me for that reason. Now, there were smaller things like me talking with my hands or the way I would sit sometimes that people would say, oh, you're gay or something like that, you know. But I always felt like I was being bullied because I was weak, you know. And that I wasn't as I wasn't a manly man, you know, as people wanted me to be. Do you think that weak equates with? I mean, I wish we had better words in this, but feminine in your in in what was being perceived of yes. you by other people. Yes, I think so. I think that's what people equate it to. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what this is like, because um, I will say my experience as a as a woman, you're you're not necessarily patrolled. For that, because mm-hmm. you're already mm-hmm. feminine, so mm-hmm. so people already hate you for that reason. It's mm-hmm. not there's no there's, right. there's other stuff that you're patrolled for, right. but it's not that. So you know, and I also have no idea what it's like to be a black man and mm-hmm. be patrolled for that, because I think especially if you're a black man, it's mm-hmm. you know you better not be feminine because right. you are being required to take on the world. You know, right. like the world is is down on you, you better right. you better be big and exactly. tough and, and be able to push back. Yeah, and I think it, it trickles down into even the gay community, especially now. And, you know, we have a lot of gay men that say mask for mask, you know, no films. And the femininity never, never actually means that that person is, you know, oh, hey, girl, like, yes, queen, and stuff like that. But it sometimes has to do with muscles, you know? They want somebody that looks like a bodybuilder that hits the gym every single day. You know, they consider that to be masculine. And for me personally, that just never made sense to me because I'm like, okay, somebody can be muscular can, but can be a trash person, you know? And the fact that you are willing to say that just because this person has muscles and they look good, oh, that's the love of my life, that's my husband, you know, like that doesn't, really makes sense to me. How do you feel now about this same? I mean, because, yeah, you're, you know, you're the size uh-huh. that you are. You're mm-hmm. out. How, how, what do I, people say to you? Do you I, still get shit? Yes, I still feel it. I still feel it very much. And I think what happened, and I think this is why I'm very cautious of it and I pay more attention now, is that because they know my job. So they're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, he may be this, but he has this, which all these people usually don't have. So that balances it out, you know, and for me, that's not good enough. You know, you have to like me for every piece of me, you know, and it's like I won't accept anything less than. And I think that's also why I tend to just be single because I don't settle. I don't think it's dating as a hobby. I don't need someone to make me feel good about myself, you know, and I'm not interested in compromising who I am just for somebody to hold me at night. Have you had experiences where... Somebody was telling you a positive thing about your body and you believed them? Like, have you had those experiences yet? Because mm. you're pretty, you're a pretty young person. Mm-hmm. It's totally possible you haven't. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think I had any. You know what's crazy is that I got a personal trainer once I moved to L.A. and started working out. 
And the reason why is because I told him, I said, I'm not doing this for me. I said, I'm doing this because it's a business move. Sure. It's a business Do you look different now after having a trainer? (laughs) Barely. You know I'm not consistent. (laughs) I don't care that much. (laughs) I wish I was more consistent, but I... I did it because I felt like I needed to gain weight. I needed to start looking bigger. I needed to look more like a man, you know, a more masculine man if I was going to be one, an actor in the industry and get roles. Because I remember when I wanted to be an actor, the very first thing that was told to me was that I wasn't going to be able to be that because I was gay. I mean, what's funny about this and the sort of way that, you know, we as queer people have to continue to be in the world is like, that was your reaction after you were offered a job and brought here, mm-hmm. you know, is to be like, now I need to make sure I can get a job here. It's like right. you already had the job, but exactly. it's so internalized, you know, that like you're already getting all this positive feedback and you're like, and I, hey, I also understand, uh-huh. you know, there is a world where uh-huh. working on aesthetics right. can benefit you out here right. in Los Angeles. I'm not. Right. Um, well, what I was but, you saying, know, yeah, you're getting a positive, you're getting positive reinforcement and you're like, I wonder if I should double down on changing correct. this thing about myself. Exactly. Well, I think in a lot of times when people ask me, cause they'll be like, oh, he's so humble and stuff like that. And I tell people it's like, I have to be because why I have to be is that I'm black and I'm gay. This industry was not built for me. It wasn't. If I lose this. I could probably never work again. It's not It's not meant, you know? It's kind of like Ellen knew that she was going to lose everything. She didn't know if she was ever going to work again. She didn't know if she was going to be able to sustain her life again, you know? But she was willing to risk it all. And then, you know, it came back to her tenfold, you know? But for me, it's like I, it's so many layers. There's so much intersectionality that people don't understand, you know? I don't have time not to be humble because there's literally nowhere where I fit in. You know, I don't fit in with the African-American community because I'm gay and I don't fit anywhere else because I'm black. So it's like I have to figure out how to create my own lane, write my own thing. So like even with red carpets that I attend and stuff like that, I know I'm always with my team and I'm always telling them to get me into everything as possible. And I always want to make sure that I am front row and center at these events. And people get a little touchy when I post things about me in the Hollywood world because they're like, oh, he's changing or he's getting to Hollywood. But I have to fight to be in those places because of visibility. You know, growing up, I had no one to look at that I could say, oh, that's who I can be. You know, I think about Billy Porter now and I'm like, if I would have had a Billy Porter growing up, I can only imagine how I would have been able to find myself sooner. So I do everything so that I can be front row and center and visible to those little boys out there that are just like me who need somebody to believe in because people that are black and queer are usually only told their limitations and not their limitless possibilities. I mean, that's amazing. And I was going to follow up by asking you about Billy Porter. Mm. And that in and of itself is awesome and sad because we came up with the same name. <laughs> you know, like, I just mean when you're like, and when if you, I had like grown up one. with, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got If one. I had grown up with fill in the blank, it's, it's Billy Porter. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, you know, that's, that's who it is right mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. Hey, I mean, I hear you. I do. I hear you. I I also understand the feeling of if I lose this job, there isn't another. Right. You know, the things that I have been cast in as an actor are all things that um, usually weren't written for 
a couple, I'm trying to think a couple of them, I guess have been for a lesbian, but a lot of times it's just been like somebody asked me to be in a thing. So mm-hmm. I got to be in it. Mm-hmm. I say that because like when there is a role that's specifically for a queer woman mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, 300 women show up for that because that's there because right. there aren't that many. And by the way, we're also competing with like straight, straight women yeah. who might also get the role. Ha- get, have our haircuts for the role, you exactly. know, like it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really intense. Yeah. And I just want to like zoom back to this thing for one tiny second uh-huh. before we move on. The thing about, getting positive feedback from your body that that you believe. I just want to say that this is just human to human. I really hope that happens for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, because because I, I am also somebody that, you know, was bullied. I was bullied when I was a little kid, but the other way, mm. because kids thought I was fat. Mm. But I think that actually was just them – seeing queerness Mm -hmm. and not knowing what to call it. Cause like like I had this body, I'm Mm -hmm. not like a, a person that should necessarily, uh, not nobody should, but I just mean, I'm not fat. I'm not a fat person. Mm -hmm. So I just have looked back on this in my childhood. and been like, what was the thing that was going on? Just like you being made fun of for being skinny. Like Mm -hmm. that, that could be like a skinniness thing, mm-hmm. but it's also because it means femininity it's means gay. It, right. You know, like it's like putting a label to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's and it's also just like a shorthand thing where you're like, I know what you mean is right. Um. So you know, and even though it went very very different sides of coin, we had kind of the same experience of being like body patrolled yeah. based on yeah what was something people couldn't yeah. necessarily yeah you know, name. And, um, that's a really tough experience. Yeah. I think my advantage comes from fashion though. Oh, tell me. Cause like doing like fashion week and stuff like, or getting dressed for like premieres and stuff. I can fit sample clothes. I was just gonna say you're sample size. Yeah. I'm sample size. So it's like, I can get clothes like that, you know, and I don't have to worry about alterations or getting them tailored and stuff. Cause I can fit them right off the runway. Well, now good. that I love. Like yes. I, I thrive for that. <laughs> then I can really pull some looks out here. But yeah, I think I I will say that even though I was teased or bullied for those things, I don't necessarily feel like they haunt me. Oh, that's good. I don't. Yeah, I don't ever think about like, oh my god, my legs are too skinny, or ew, like why do I look like that? Yeah, I'm not that type of person. But I think what has happened is that because of feeling like I am too feminine at some times is that I think it hinders me trusting my talent Mm. because I think I try to code switch a lot in, in what I do and trying to figure out what is a more acceptable version. And do you mean code switch, uh, like more straight or do you mean code switch more white or do you mean code switch more both. I think all of the above. Yeah. I think all of the above. No, I think I think working on special and like 
You know, it's interesting like doing doing the press stuff for the show. Like I have met with a lot of like disability groups and I've done like and I've met with a lot of disabled writers and um, I've been kind of like thrust into, I guess, the spotlight as like a disabled person. So it's almost like it's like full immersion therapy, like being thrown <laughs> into the deep end. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> and it's been really incredible. I really expected to be having moments where I was a little like overwhelmed, a little scared, like da, 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 da. But I really haven't had that because the disabled community is so awesome and everyone is so great and like loving and nurturing that it's been like, it's been a great kind of home to go to go to and to, to find, you know? That's, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Best case scenario. That, yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I know sometimes it's a lot of pressure to be, the it person is. Who's oh, it still is, honey. Yeah. On that, e- even well, I just have found that like that can go either way. You know, that can be you can be really embraced, or people can be pretty critical or picky because they w- yes. want things to be exactly like sp- how it is for them. Specif- exactly. I was going to say <laughs> specified to their experience. Yeah. You know, and as a person in the spotlight, you're always just speaking on your own behalf. Yes. But it's. It's important to try to make those, like the edges of your behalf, you know, cover other people or extend to other people. Yes. Without <laughs> falling into the trap of speaking for other folks. Uh, so was, it's like this really interesting <laughs> dance. <laughs> it's a it's a tightrope that we all walk. But you know, it's funny. I I really was worried about that. I was really worried about the burden of representation. I felt that, and I was like, okay, I'm one of the first disabled people to get a platform like this to tell my story. But I know. I know that my story is not going to be everyone's story, and I hope they're okay with that. And twist, honey, they were. I cool. swear to God. I swear to God. I was expecting the backlash, honey. I was expecting like people to come for me, to drag me to filth. But they didn't. They really didn't. It's so interesting. I, I think here's what I'll say. I, I don't know why, actually, why that why there wasn't a backlash. I think, but I will say this. I, I think when you write from a pure place, which I did for special, like I just wrote purely from my experience, and I am a brutally honest person. Person. Like I don't hold back. And I think that when you're authentic, I think like people respond to that, even if that doesn't look exactly like them. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. That's my guess as to why there was no backlash. Yeah. This, the specific, the specific always kind of, you're, yes, you're, you're best covered by the specific because yeah. the more specific you can be, then the more obvious that is that you're, that you're, that you're, it's like you're showing instead of telling people that this just is my experience. Well, I also Which, think the bar was so low for disability representation. I think like, <laughs> seriously, like it was like, what are we going to do? People, take him down? Who's going to be next? Uh, I like, know. Yeah. Literally, they were just like, wow, like finally, like a disabled person where someone doesn't commit suicide at the end is a victory. Right. You know what I mean? Like, or like, or like, it's like, or it's actually written by an, or, a disabled person. Like, And it's, there's an actor who yes, disabled. is dealing with and not just disabled but like disabled in the way that the character is like that yeah. like it's you know yeah. I just feel like it's it's usually either somebody in disabled face or oh. it's somebody that's like stretching what's going on for them into yes. another sphere you know so it's fucking bleak man like disability representation is bleak as fuck like because to me what's important is that our stories get told, but they get told by us. So we profit from our own stories. I think that Hollywood has like a big old hard on for profiting off the pain of marginalized people without giving them any opportunities. And that really gets my goat. I 
hate that. Like, I can't watch another gay movie where it's, like, written and directed by a straight guy or it's starring a straight actor. Like, no, no, honey, you don't get to do that anymore. You yeah, don't... that's really, that really drives me crazy. No, I also i am so not awful. sure if I'm allowed to say disabled face. I just want to say, as a oh, white person. I think it's, like, crip I think face. As a, as I think it's a, crip face. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I mean, I I'm fine with it as an able-bodied person. <laughs> I'm wondering if as a white person I'm not allowed to no, say that. No, so, I, I don't well, think it's fine, unclear, honey. I'm not a PC we'll, warrior we'll wait princess. For the, we'll wait for the... We'll wait for the comments. Sure. Um, They'll come. (laughs) (laughs) They always do. (laughs) When you were a kid, when you were a kid, um, you said the PE was hard. Yeah. What, what, what else? And I know you said you, that there was stretching and PT going on. Were, did you have to work on anything like I guess I'm thinking about like your gait or yeah, like a the lot. specific way your posture yes. things like that were there yeah yeah uh, tell me a little bit about that like what was happening for you in terms of how you spent your time getting your body to where it is now it's hard with CP because when you're growing that's when you need to do all the work and then when you hit puberty and you stop growing you're pretty much like done like so the first you know 12 years of your life I mean for me I had a lot of surgeries I had this like surgery called like an Achilles tendon lengthening surgery, which basically meant that I was in a wheelchair for like five months. Um, I had I had a couple surgeries growing up. I can't. Was that all, on both legs? Was that on both legs? One- I was on. I think both legs. I don't fucking know. I. It's all like my memory is like Swiss cheese. I just remember like a lot of surgeries, and then I had like I had leg braces growing up, which were such a fucking nightmare. I mean, it was like it was like catering to my disability was sort of a full time job. I also just like didn't know how to navigate my own body because I was like a placenta. I was a kid, so like it was just a lot of trial and error. And and then when I when I went to high school, it was sort of just like it was. I mean, I was left with what I was left with, you know. So I was able to just kind of be, which was such a relief. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's actually why you saying that you were left to kind of be, that's actually why I'm asking because, again, just like a little bit of familiarity with folks who are dealing with CP, there was a lot of, um, you know, like stuff that, like strength training exercises or like standing yeah. was mm-hmm. specifically something that some kids would be like put in a standing position because um, weight bearing actually helps you grow taller. So things that like I think maybe able-bodied kids aren't even realizing that it's a just like a ton of effort you know you're like you're going through regular classes like other folks but then you're just doing all these other things essentially uh you know prepping like an nba star or whatever like and mixing that with like being an elementary school kid we're also like navigating a world that is not built for us so it's basically like every day is like a game of frogger like it's like literally like okay like how am i gonna get through this day like how am i gonna navigate this space that doesn't that i don't fit in and that's not handicap accessible like how am i gonna not trip over this person as i like go to my desk and like like it's just crazy the amount of mental gymnastics you go through every single day to kind of appear palatable to everyone else around you. And like that's things that you do without even realizing, especially growing up because you're obviously not like emotionally intelligent enough to like realize what's going on. But in the last couple of years, I've really realized like how much thought goes into how people perceive me. And even like in my appearance, like it's like very much like 
oh, like, I'm disabled, but, like, don't worry, babe. Like, I'm wearing, like, acne jeans and an APC shirt. And, like, girl, I totally went to Bestia. I fucking love it. Like, it's, like, you know, it's just, like, it's all, like, I'm just like you. Like, that's the underneath of everything I do is, like, don't worry. Like, I'm not scary. Like, don't worry. I maybe present as something different, but I'm really not that different. And, um... I think that gay people obviously have that in terms of the the whole mask femme bullshit stuff, and I think yeah, you just want to fit into what's nor- what, what's perceived as normal. But I've kind of let that go. But it is it is it's sad, kind of like thinking about how much um, time I've kind of wasted to try to fit in, quote unquote. It's such a fruitless game. It is, but everybody listening, I'm sure you know, since there's so many queer folks that listen to this show. You're exactly right to point out that it's a similar gambit. I was just in, right before I was in New York, which is where I'm filming or recording this now, I was just in rural, rural Oregon mm-hmm. and um, went into like the town that was there mm-hmm. and was going into businesses. Every business I walked into, I swear, every business was like, where where are you from? They just kept asking me where I was Lol. from. Yep. Yeah, like You're it not was, from around here, yeah, are you? Yeah, it was yeah. perfect. Uh, yeah. Just, I wanted to be like, I don't know if you had a meeting about this, but congratulations on nailing the in unison feeling of this. Um, I, I think, like I feel, I guess I'm a pretty confident person, but I still sometimes feel like I'm attracting a lot of attention to myself or... You know, down on myself just for like a shirt choice, you know. Yeah. And, and it's not like the world um, tells me not to worry about this. Yeah. You know? Instead, no. if you're in Oregon, people are like, you are definitely gay. <laughs> but that's just, they don't, they don't say it that way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I'm a very confident person too, and I kind of think I always have been. But then there's always things that like remind me that I still have a long way to go. Like, even with acting in special, I was never attached to star in it. And I, I now I've realized, like, I am a performer, and that's okay. I think I had a lot of stigma and shame around it because I feel like wanting to do my own show, wanting to executive produce it, wanting to write it, I felt like, oh, well, that's enough. That's enough. I don't, I don't need any more. I don't want to take too much. I don't want to take too much. So when, you know, we initially went out and pitched it and I didn't attach myself, it wasn't like I was like deep down being like, oh God, I wish I could act. I wish, I don't know why I'm Southern in this scenario, but, um, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could give myself the courage to want that. It was buried so deep down that I didn't even realize that that was something I wanted until we went to this digital branch of Warner Brothers and really out of like financial necessity, they were like, okay, well you have to star in it. And I was like, okay. So I was like, forced to star in my own show. And then once I did it, I was like, oh, twist. Like, I've actually always wanted to do this. I just never gave myself permission to want those things. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I really do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Who did you, when you when you were imagining the show and you were thinking that it might be somebody else, no did, you have, no. did you have anybody in mind? <laughs> no. Gay disabled actors don't grow on trees, honey. I wish. Oh my God. I'm just like hanging outside of Easter Seals with a net. I, um, th- that's just, I asked because I also love that, like in terms of a, a, you know, denial, in terms of where you're at mentally, just going in and thinking like, and then we'll just get like some other like great gay disabled actor. I'm I thinking know. of. Blank. Yeah. Well, I don't have an example, but I'm sure we'll find. Them. I know, I know, and like, and also like, they, there are gay disabled actors now. I know because she's like plugged in, honey. Her fingers on the fucking pulse. But um, but I think also it was really important to me 
that this character has the same physicality as me. And that is really hard. Like you can find another gay yes, disabled that, actor. Yes, that's a, yes, yeah, that's more that's specifically impossible. what I'm saying. That's fucking yeah, impossible. Yeah, because you're writing all the stuff in like the specific exactly, gags of the or whatever. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. And like what problems <laughs> this person has or how yes. they're interpreted. And then you're trying to find, so you're not just actually trying to find a disabled actor. You're trying to find somebody with mild CP Right. Who looks exactly like you is your same size and wears the same clothes that you do. It's plus insane. your hair. Yeah, it's and psychotic. Also- <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, not me. I don't want to do that. That's crazy. But even like, yeah. even, okay, so even like, so like, you know, we're not officially greenlit for season two, but it's looking very good. And we were talking about um, a writer's room for season two because I wrote all the episodes the first season and that just can't happen again. That took 10 years off my life. Um, and they were like, uh, and I was like, oh, well, I'll need a co-showrunner. And they were like, Really? And I was like, yeah. And it like took me like weeks to realize. I'm like, wait, I like show ran the first season. It was just me writing all these episodes. Like I had amazing producers and an amazing director who definitely like were instrumental and amazing and did a credible job. But like I did this already, but my brain immediately goes to, oh, I can't show run it. It's like, I can't show run the show. It's like, there's part of me that's like, well, I guess I'll be the writer's assistant season two. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I've given myself the permission to have a, be a story editor on my own show. Like it's so, it's so insidious. Like it's so crazy that my brain still goes to a place where it's like, oh, I can't do that. That's crazy. Even though I've already done it. I've already done so it. So what, what do you think that is? I, I, Where do I, you think this root of like not wanting to demand or I don't know. I, I think it's like, a, I think it's like a that? marginalized person thing. I think everyone can relate to it. It's the fucking, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like it's like, it's, it's just like us really um, feeling uncomfortable asserting ourselves. And I'm a conservative bitch. That's the crazy thing. Like if it's affecting me, it's affecting everybody times 10 because I am like a very vocal, strong person, but I guess I just never, I guess the things that I'm getting in my life, I never imagined it, on some level I did imagine, but I didn't imagine on this scale. I didn't imagine that. I didn't think that I'd be show running my own show at 32. I just didn't think that would happen. Um, I think that's what takes, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I, I just second guess myself. You know what I mean? But then I'm like, wait, no, I'm can do it. So I'm like leaning in, honey, I'm leaning in. <laughs> what about your relationship going through something like this, like a more intense version of any job. I mean, this is <laughs> what you're describing yeah. is a very intense um, and really demanding schedule. And then also putting your, like being out in front of folks for the first time and having all that. Cause I know you said four and a half years. So that must've meant yeah. that like very early in this relationship, yes. the book was optioned. Yes. And that was why when we started so dating. This, this yeah. person has sort of been with you through it all, but not, necessarily with the, with it looking this way and yeah. then suddenly you're like shirtless yeah, on tv totally. how is your relationship getting, navigating getting that out? In the ass. he yeah. um he's incredible like i'm not kidding you like he well i've been really lucky in the sense that i picked someone who is comfortable with himself and likes himself so any of the insecurities that poison a relationship we don't have like i feel very hashtag blessed we're also like communicative divas like we communicate everything so like I think of communication as like there are like 20,000 fires that could be started in a relationship at any given day and then like communicating immediately is just like getting the hose out immediately like it's just like it's like putting it out putting it out putting it out putting it out and if you don't honey that fire grows and then the house burns down so talk um, to me about how you do that how do you and as much as as personal as you want to get yeah, no, how, I, how do totally. you work on communicating in your relationship and it doesn't this isn't because I'm yeah. trying to get but just like for a lot of folks that are listening 
listening. I agree with that. I think that's so so you smart. Ha- you so have right. to you have to be with someone who likes themselves. Like insecurity has nothing to do with you. So like mm. every like it doesn't like it's like it's like there are like a lot of that shit is projection. It's like you project your own shit onto your partner, and all of a sudden they're like the trash receptacle for your issues, and that's not fair. Do you know what I mean? And it has nothing to do with your actual relationship or your connection. So like I feel very lucky. Like I'm very comfortable in myself, in my skin, in my relationship, in my boyfriend's the same way. Like we just, so it's like, we don't, there's no room for that. Like we like, and it's like, he's also a writer and like we lift each other up and we're like each other's cheerleaders and like a win for him is a win for me. Like we're just incredibly supportive, but it's like, again, like I got someone who was like fully formed and like, who didn't have a brain that was like a jar of rat poison. Like, <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? Well, I just, but relationships can fall apart with no rat poison brain. Oh, I do think sure. that you what, can grow apart, which is yeah, like something I do you think can't that predict. The communication piece yeah. is, you know, how, how you're doing that. So like, are you guys sitting down face to face? Are you like texting with each other? Like, how do you keep that going during an uptick in schedule like this? The dialogue is always open. Like, it's like, and we'll talk about it. I'll be like, I'll check in. It's like a lot of checking and being like, how are you doing, babe? Like, uh-huh, that was pretty insane. Okay. Like, da 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 And it's just always kind of being aware of his feelings. And also just like, this sounds corny too to say, but like there needs to be just a general foundation of respect for each other, which again, I think in the the relationships that I see my friends getting into that are bad, I think there's also just a fundamental lack of respect on both. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, we just, we check in a lot and I don't know. I think it's sort of like, there's not like a proven formula. I think that when, when something's getting a little tense or when someone's feeling a little edgy, that's when we start being like, okay, like, how are you feeling about this? And then again, like we just diffuse it. We don't go to bed angry. That's a big role that we rule that we have. Um, yeah, I don't know. And like, yeah, like no, I, those are all really tangible things. You yeah, do know. <laughs> yeah, 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 we do. You just said very ta- yeah, tangible things. Yeah, it's important. But it's like, again, like I just love the shit out of him. And I just like want to bring him so much joy and happiness because it's like, I think I'm definitely crazier than he is. Like, and like sometimes I, if I feel my temper kind of rising or if I feel kind of angry and it's like displaced anger wanting to like pick a fight or something like that, I always think like, would he ever do this to me? Like, would he ever do this to me? And the answer is always no, because he's literally a sweetheart from heaven above. And I'm like, oh, then he would never do that. So like, why would I do that to him? You know what I mean? Like treat him how he treats you. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> How did you all meet? Uh, In the next or, week, there's like a cheating scandal that breaks out. <laughs> I, I found well, out he's like fucking the nanny. We didn't even have a kid. <laughs> it's just a nanny that he's fucking. Sorry, yeah. oh. oh, we're also open, which really helps too. And um, yeah, so I think oh, being open and, and you know, like we, I went to Bears in Space like a couple weeks ago and like made out with two guys and like he watched the Tonys and we like lolled about it that night. Like <laughs> just, that's just the gay way, honey. <laughs> what, I know you said you hadn't dated a bunch that you were, or no, you said long, long period of celibacy. So is this your first relationship? Absolutely. This person? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I dated someone in high school for six months, but that was nothing. That was like, you know, a relationship with training wheels. Um, I would date guys sporadically in New York when I lived there, but, um, I had like intimacy issues up the wazoo and, um, it was so funny. Like 
my whole mode was like I would get obsessed with someone and project all these qualities onto them that like they definitely didn't have. Like one thing I realized, like like I would always like call someone funny, and like now I take being funny very seriously, and like I categorize two people as either they're lollers or nollers <laughs> and like like I just realized I would like say like there's a lot of nollers out there and like people that you hang out with that you're like wow I should have actually just charged a fee because I did all the work and now I have back problems from carrying all the conversations but um but anyway I dated like a lot of guys in my 20s that like were very sweet and very nice but like not a good fit but also like I'd get obsessed with them I did like I'd think all these things about them that weren't really true and then I would get them and then I like my brain was like it was like an intruder like came into my brain and was like run 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 and I just would feel so uncomfortable like like I would see couples in New York like like going to the farmer's market like flea market babe like whatever and I'd be like how do people do this like how do people just like live like happy normal functional lives like how do you let anyone in and then when I met Jonathan my my boyfriend now um it was the same thing. I like I got obsessed with him. I I then then we started dating, and then I immediately started like freaking out about it. And um, but this time I realized that he actually was all those things that I wasn't projecting any qualities onto him. Like he was the real deal. And then I broke up with him. And then a month later, I was like, oh my god, I made a giant mistake, and like begged him to take me back. <laughs> and I and I said to him, I said here's the deal. Like I'm fucking crazy, and like my brain's like an unsafe neighborhood to walk around at night. But like. I promise to you that I will try to show up for you the best way that I know how. And I said it at the time, not even really believing it. Like, I was like, I hope that's true. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, my brain doesn't caught up with my heart. Um, but it actually was true. I Like, I don't know. I, I honestly feel like Jonathan is like a fluke that somehow, you know, like my brain is District 9 and then there's like a strawberry patch of like love and light where he resides, like safe away from the District 9. That's kind of what I look at it as. But that thing that you're talking about, projecting all those positive qualities and having that be pretty far away from the person that you're with, I think that is something that is really common. I think that is yeah. maybe not so specific to your brain as something that like a lot of folks do, especially early on in dating. You know, like especially yeah. when you're when you're going through like your first bunch of relationships, because of course, you know, we're fed all this these ideas that there's going to be like a person out there who's your number one person or you know, whatever it is. And then if you're queer on top of that, it's like you probably have, I mean, this is a little less true now than it would have been in the past, but not necessarily. Like you're probably a little bit behind um, other folks in terms of like the developmental developmental stuff when you're starting to date people. So then it's so important, you know, like your first relationship. I mean, I was like, I was 20 when I was, when I had my first girlfriend and had had boyfriends before that and then here comes this person and I couldn't figure out that something about her didn't work for me and break up with her because she was my whole family and my also my entire access to queerness and also you know the only so there was there's so much riding on everything of course it makes sense to like uh, prescribe all these things to folks and then also to have them like I think fall in a more 
it's like angels from heaven or whatever. It's right. like, you were supposed to be perfect. I know. That's, well, I, that was never even guaranteed. That's I know. That you made up, you well, know? Well, in my case, it was also incredibly narcissistic because I realized that like, you know, insecurity and narcissism are like fucking sisters. They're like best friends. And I think that like I was deeply insecure and I feel like I was projecting all these qualities onto people and like thinking, m- making them into these fantasy people that they weren't. But I wasn't actually paying attention to who they were. And I actually wasn't that interested in who they were. I don't think. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, if I actually was like, did I even think to like listen to them and like what they wanted? Like, I don't know. I was too busy, like, just fashioning this like fantasy life for them and being like, okay, this is who they are. Like, I wasn't really interested in like diving in because I couldn't. I was very limited. Narcissism limits you. You're just like, you're, yeah, you you can't go far. (laughs) Wow, that's, that's right. I mean, that's everything you're saying is, yeah, super. Right. Narcissism does create another peop- a, a need for other people to fit into your yes. story. Yeah, exactly. It's all about building a narrative and like making sure they're giving you what you want and not thinking about what they need from you or who they are as people. Yeah, yes. So, so then did you just find did you just happen to find somebody who specifically asks for what they need or I, I think I just, who demands I think I did it or how, of, how, what happened there? I think I did a lot of work on myself. Like I changed a lot. Like I spent my twenties, you know, lying about my disability. I was a car accident victim. I was addicted to drugs. And then I moved to LA. I got my dream job writing for television. Um, I started working out and kind of developing a healthy relation with my body for the first time. Um, and then I came out about having cerebral palsy, like for the first time. So all like the, the years between like 27, 27 and 28 were the years that I really just grew the fuck up. Like I truly got my shit together and kind of evolved into a healthier version of myself. So I think I was ready to. I think I was ready. I mean, it sounds like corny, but like I was ready to receive that love. I was ready to receive that healthy yeah. love. Cause like anyone can get bad love. You can get bad love at like, you know, Costco or wherever. Like it's easy to get anyone to fall in love with you, but like to get, to be ready for that good love and to receive it and to let that in. That's like, that's like a gift, but you have to do the work on yourself. You have to do the work. <laughs> 